Hey, everybody. Yeah, my name is Trish, and I'm an alcoholic. Woo! My sobriety date is 8-25-1991. Thank you, God. Um, I have a home group in Eugene, Oregon. It's Lambda, the Lambda Spiritual Sunday group at 5 p.m. If you ever get down to uh, Eugene, please come by and see us. Um, it is an LBGTQ meeting, but we are straight friendly, so... <laughs> Right? So, uh, I'm supposed to uh, talk about the 10th and 11th step. And, you know, uh, when Amy and Dylan asked me to do this, and thank you, Amy and Dylan, for, for asking me to do this and having the confidence in my recovery to be here. Thank you. Um, and I had to submit this paragraph. I was like, which paragraph am I going to go with? Um, I, too, had a dilemma about which one am I going to choose, you know. And I chose this one um, because there's been times in my sobriety when I have rested on my laurels a little bit. And those times I've gotten pretty stuck in self and I couldn't connect with you. And that's what the 10th and 11th step has been about for me. It's about connecting. It's about getting me out of the way. It's about letting that love get in, God's love. And meditation has been a huge part of my recovery the past 10 years. And that's been an incredible way of learning to observe my thoughts. Because that's where my disease is, between my ears. And I can just get real caught up in my thoughts sometimes. And uh, I could start going down this story road, story land, illusion land, let's call it. And before I know it, I'm in a, my hair's on fire, <laughs> you know, and uh, it still happens today. You know, I'm more quick to notice that, and I think that's because of actually steps 10 and 11. And service is a, is a huge part of getting out of myself. And I think, in fact, the last time I was uh, in front of this many people, I was at um, a play at the Houston Roundup. And Lila, I've seen Lila speak there a couple of times at the Houston Roundup. In where? Houston, Texas. <laughs> we have some good recovery in Houston, Texas, you guys. And I, my role in that play, I was Xena, the princess warrior. <laughs> yeah, and... You know, I had my, my big part was that I got to be uh, in the middle of this shame spiral. <laughs> and that's like our disease, right? This shaming on down. Let me just make it all about me. Whatever they're doing is so about me. And oh, I'm just so worried. Oh, what about the future? Oh, my God, look what I did in the past. It's like the shame spiral. Stop it. You know, there was this skit, Bob Newhart. Y'all remember this? This lady comes into the office. She's got this fear. None of us have fear, right? It's not like my heart, heart's not beating 100 miles an hour right now. 
she has this fear. And she goes in to see Bob Newhart, who's a counselor. I have this fear that I'm going to be buried alive in a box. You guys know this? And he says, I got two words for you. Stop it. I don't know why this is coming up. I guess God wants me to tell this. This is weird. But it um, really is. Um, so then, you know, she's like, oh, stop it. I just can't stop it. It's just I can't even go outside. I can't go anywhere. This fear just consumes me. He goes, I got several more words for you. And he hands her the slip paper he wrote it all down for she looks at the piece of paper and opens it up. And he says, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> it's like my mind wants to separate me from God. This is a crazy place up here, you guys. It still is. That's why I have to keep coming back. The road gets narrower. Yeah, I have 28 years because I didn't drink, but let me tell you, it's been a, there's been some rough patches of having to look at myself and what I do. And step 10 and 11 is about how do I show up in the world today? Who am I going to be? Am I going to be in humility? Or am I going to be in ego? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to dive back a little bit and give you a little bit of history of where I came from. Um, I was raised in an alcoholic home. My dad, uh, he had, uh, I think he had PTSD. He was a, he's an officer in the military. He's an alcoholic. He's passed away now. And it was a pretty abusive home. I had to see some things that no kid should ever see. I had some pretty deep wounds from that childhood. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to my mom, and my mom is, lives in Houston, Texas, and my sister lives in Virginia. And my sister was visiting my mom um, this weekend, you know, and I, I chose to be here with you all, you know, because this is where uh, God wants me to be. And I'm on the phone with them Friday. We were driving up here. Cindy and I were driving up here. And my mom says, Trisha, I'm just so proud of you. I said, yeah, Mom, it's a miracle we three live through that alcoholic insanity. It's a miracle that we're still here and that we love each other. I love my mom today. You know, my mom, I've always loved my mom, but my mom and I, you know, my mom has some um, different belief systems than I do. Some different political affiliations than I do. <laughs> Let's just say it out there. 
So, you know, I get a chance to set aside what I think is right. It doesn't even matter what I think is right anymore. But I still get attached to it, don't get me wrong. <laughs> That's not my job in the world. My job in the world is to love those closest to me. It's not to correct them. It's not to point out what they're doing wrong. It's to love them. And the longer you're here and you have people in your life, they'll start letting you know what you're doing that's hurting their feelings and stuff. And you know what the miracle is? Is today I freaking care. I care today about if I hurt someone's feelings. And sometimes it's not about me. It's about where they're at too, you know? And that's okay too. And sometimes, you know, this whole thing about opinions lately has been like, oof, opinions, opinions, opinions. Opinions are not facts, you guys. People have opinions all over the place. And I think I need to exert my opinion on other people. <laughs> That's becoming very painful for me. So, yeah, I was raised in this alcoholic home, and, you know, I always had to win when I was a kid. I had to win in everything. I'm an overachiever. I have it. I'm a perfectionist. My sponsor's one, too. We laugh about it today a lot. I come over to her house, and she has, like, this whole, like, cleaning schedule graphed out. I'm like, oh, my God, I love this woman. So, you know, being raised in that home and, and having this uh, almost need to be right and to win, you know, it permeated my whole childhood and my whole, a lot of my life, you know, still can today. And, you know, I had, remember Skipper? Skipper? The Skipper doll? Oh, my God, Skipper. I loved Skipper. And my sister and I would, we would be in the, uh, we, we would make our bathtub uh, into a, like a swimming pool. And I don't know what Barbie she had, but I had the cool one. I had Skipper. And we would have, you know, in, when we were in swim team, we had heats, you know, who won the heat once the next round, right? And so Skipper always had to win. She really did. If, I mean, if she didn't win, it was like I would have a fit. Because sometimes my sister would want her doll to win. I was like, oh, hell no. Skipper's going to win. I love that little Skipper doll. You know what AA has taught me? A winner is a servant. I got to align myself to that. It's not so much what needs to be changed in the world. It's what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. So being raised in this alcoholic home, 
you know, I went on to achieve, of course, because I'm an achiever. I uh, got a basketball scholarship to college. And that's pretty much when my, my drinking started, getting pretty heavy. Because, you see, that's when I started realizing I was a little different, you know, um, that I, I had these hormones going. And it wasn't about the boys I wanted. It was those girls I wanted. <laughs> and But, you know, there wasn't a lot of outness then, you know. It was, like, very closeted and secret, you know, and... My cousins were at this boarding school, and they told me about this woman that had gotten kicked out of boarding school. And she got kicked out because she was found naked in the, her room with another woman snorting cocaine. <laughs> Outside issue, but she was. <laughs> when I heard this, I didn't care about her being kicked out. I didn't care about the cocaine. All I heard that she was naked with another woman. And I said, I have to have her. Dude, I got her. And my drinking, woo, went way up. And I loved it. Alcohol became my solution to all that over-responsibility, all that uncomfortability on my own skin. It made me be able to go out and dance. It made me be able to have sex with a woman. Oh, my God. You know, and God, God just wasn't really in there. <laughs> um, I had prayed one time when I was like eight years old for God to stop my dad from drinking. God didn't do it, so who's God? Who's God? But alcohol became my God. It worked for me for a while. It really did. Um, that woman left me for the pizza lady. Here I was studying biochem and all this and calculus and I was going to be a doctor and she left me for the frickin' pizza lady. <laughs> Humbling. <laughs> you know, and, and during my drinking career, I only drank for like seven years, you guys. I went down pretty quick and... um totaled like three vehicles during that time. One time, I remember I was headed down to see this lady that left me for the pizza lady. And I was in college, and, you know, I had a basketball scholarship because, you know, I'm an overachiever. And I'm actually kind of natural with sports, so I was pretty good. And uh, we're after practice one night, I was, you know, drinking a lot, doing other substances with one of my teammates and I just had that urge I had to get down there and see Lori I had to go see her you know how we are and um, it was a rainy night it was a rainy night and I was driving my little Chevrolet down the road I was like 
And I was wasted. Oh, my God, I was so wasted. And you know before you get to a river how there's, like, the railing? And I'm, like, skidding along. And I got on the other side of that railing. And I was going, like, 90 miles an hour, no doubt. And I just kind of saw my life in front of me, wasted and all. And I couldn't get back on the road, and all I saw in front of me was this body of water. And time went so slow till I went in that water. The next thing I remember, I'm climbing up the side of this, I'm swimming, I'm trying to get up the side of the embankment. I don't even know how I got out of that car. And they took, took me over to my aunt's house down the road. The policeman knew my aunt and everything, and they took me down there, and it was, someone finally stopped and had picked me up. And it was just, I thought I was dead. I had accepted that I was dead before I went in that water. I was like, oh, well, this is it. I guess God had another plan. Something saved me. Something saved me. The cop came over to my aunt's house. They were investigating the, the scene because they found some stuff in my car. And he was asking me about, you know, man, were you drinking? We found a joint in your ashtray. I was like, no, officer. I don't know how those things got in my car. Now, a normal person, like, probably wouldn't drink and drive again after that, right? I went on to total two more vehicles. Crazy. Had a couple more hostages along the way, too. Because they were hostages. No doubt about that. I was dating this one woman. She had a little boy. And we used to drive around with that little boy in the back oh, and just get so trashed. You know, when I was looking for someone to fix me, just as much as they probably wanted me to fix them. And, you know, she... She was bisexual. You're a lesbian. Don't go after a bisexual woman. <laughs> and she ended up um, with her <laughs> dealer, <laughs> with our dealer. And I became a stalker. <laughs> Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> I had such an empty hole. No idea who I was, what I wanted. I was heartbroken. You know, when the alcohol had kind of gotten to a place where it wasn't working anymore. 
Yet I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't live with it. I couldn't live without it. There was this bar in Houston called The Ranch. I can country two-step, you guys. Look out. Woo! I'd tear it up out there. And that one night, I went out there looking for love in all the wrong places. And I just had this loneliness so deep in my soul. I wanted to die. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I was driving back home and I lived by the Astrodome. Well, not a very, you know, great place to live in Houston. It's not even there anymore, but back then it was like, oh, it was like the most drug-infested area of town. And I got back and somehow made it home. On the way home, I really wanted to drive my car off one of those bridges on the way home. Let's total a fourth car. What the hell? But I didn't. I got back to my little drug-infested apartment complex. And I got on my knees. Never got on my knees before anyone before. And I just said, I need help. I need help. Whatever's out there, please help me. That opened the door. I mean, it was total surrender, you guys. Total. And I have to do that almost on a daily basis. I have to surrender every day. God, please help me. Because this mind starts going. So my friend Candace called me. She had been in AA a couple of months. I hadn't heard from her. <laughs> and she said, hey, come to the beach with me. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, why would she want to be hanging out with a drunk like me? You know, she was all sober. Oh, thank you, Amy. I had some. I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> and so we were driving down to Galveston, and, you know, she was all excited about being on step two. <laughs> was it odd or was it God, you know? Was it odd or was it God? Pay attention to these things. And I got there, and all I could think of was, oh, my God, how am I going to go to the beach and not drink? I mean, everything I did was drinking, had to be drinking involved. And I didn't drink that day. I didn't even really have a strong obsession to drink. She said, hey, you want to go to Lambda with me tonight? I was like, okay, sitting there and. Dealing all this love, and I was a newcomer, you know, and 
I got a desire chip that night and, you know, one of those gold star AAers. I haven't had to have a drink since, you know, it's like, you know, they, it's like a, you know, it's not, it's not me guys. No, 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 please. It's, it's not me. I had to surrender and I had to open a channel. I had to open a channel. Yeah, my ego got in there a little bit. That's all right. Anyway, um, so the journey, you know, started of working the steps. And I got a sponsor right off the bat. And, um, you know, we were going through the steps and powerlessness and over alcohol, looked at all the different ways I was. I was not quite getting it, you know. And there was this um, ask it basket meeting on Friday nights. And I would always go to it because you could ask the questions and no one knew who was asking the questions. You know what I mean? <laughs> and my question was, how do you really know? How do you know if you're an alcoholic? How do you really know? And no one ever could just answer it to my satisfaction. I would go week after week. Did this for like a couple months. And Luke always chaired that meeting. Luke, I remember Luke. You know, and Luke, I could tell one night he was kind of frustrated. <laughs> I don't know who keeps putting this question in this basket. But whoever you are. If you weren't an alcoholic, you probably wouldn't be coming back every Friday night and putting it in here. <laughs> right? I was like, oh. That made sense to me. It really did. That made sense to me. So, yeah, I started this whole process. I turned my life over to the best of my abilities, made a decision, see? And then I did these action steps that actually have helped me to turn my life over. This whole purpose of this book here is to find a higher power. That's the whole purpose of it. And I have a God today that loves me so much so patient with me, so patient. God wants my light to shine. I see the shining in your eyes. I see, your, I see the newcomers come in and their eyes start to light up. That's God. That's the connection we all have with one another. Look for the light. Look for the sparkle in people's eyes. It changes. It truly does. And I can see that today. I can embrace my own light. I have this big energy, y'all. My sponsor says, Trish, you got big energy. <laughs> when you go in a room, it spreads. You know, and I do. God gave that to me. I just got to get me out of the way. You know, I really have to get me out of the way. 
And that's, you know, the fourth and fifth steps really opened my eyes to how I set the ball rolling in my life. You know, it's not the facts that disturb me. It's the stories around my facts that keep me stuck in me. And when I'm stuck in me, it's heavy, y'all. It is heavy. It's like, whew, I'm stuck in me. I can tell. It's like, it's, it's not light. It's not flowing. The channel is not there. It's just not there. And I create all that. I choose to go to that place in my mind that wants me there. You know, I have this disease of perception. It's like I've told my sponsees before, and it's like reality is like a thousand perceptions per second. And my alcoholism wants me to latch onto that one perception that's going to make me feel like shit about myself. And it wants to keep going back there. You know what helped me to really notice that? Do an inventory. Meditation. Talking to God. Talking to you guys about your experience. This book is transformative. This program is transformative. It can take you out of being a victim. And open your eye to the world and your beauty. We all have something very important to give to one another. And I don't really know what that is a lot of times. I don't know, you know. You know, this whole thing with my mom, it's like, that was, a, that was really a tough one about... Um, having to be right and not being very tolerant of her views. That's a, that's, that goes right back to I'm going to die if my dad doesn't know he's a big drunk and, and causing all this chaos in our home. You know, it goes right back to that security. And then pride comes in that I, that I my view is superior. You know, and then I have to remind myself, no, Trish. Let's try to come to this place of neutrality. I watch those that come before me and, you know, people I respect, and they don't get involved in crap on Facebook. I still like to get in there a little bit. <laughs> I'm not evolved yet enough to get off Facebook. <laughs> I'm sure I'll get there one day. Yeah, I still have this attachment to being right. And, you know, um, my profession is such that uh, I do get to tell people what to do. It's kind of cool. <laughs> and um, I work with uh, veterans. Um, 
you know, and a lot of these veterans are so wounded. The PTSD, the chronic pain, how attached they are to their pain. And every day I go into work, I have an opportunity to shine my little light a little bit and try to help them out. It's challenging sometimes. Some people work my nerves really bad. That's back in ego. How would God look at this person? Not Trish. How would God look at this person? One of my first sponsors told me that when I was in the middle of a, another hostage situation where it was broken up and I just thought I was going to die again. And this woman actually ended up being my partner's uh, sponsor later. Isn't that crazy? Um, she left me, another bisexual woman. <laughs> and uh, just saying, <laughs> make a decision. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I was like, um, I was heartbroken. Because the fact was that, you know, it wasn't the most healthy relationship, you know. But, you know, we kind of grieve these fantasies, don't we? It's like, oh, we grieve these fantasies of what it could have been. Same thing happens when people die. It's like, oh, look what a wonderful person he was. But anyway, um, I, was, I was again heartbroken. And I called my sponsor. David L. at that time. And David would always tell me, thank God for where you are. Thank God for where you are. God doesn't always give me what I want. Thank God. <laughs> God gives us what we need. And I just come to realize that over and over. You know, I... I'm in a profession that I get to, to help people. I get to give people what they need, and that's amazing. So, you know, how I work, steps 10 and 11, I think they kind of work me, actually. Um, well, let's see, I get up in the morning, before I open my eyes, I'm like, okay, God, help me. I really do. Before I even get out of that bed, I'm like, okay, God, help me. Because otherwise, I'm really not really wanting to participate too much. Then I go in there. Cindy's already, uh, Cindy's my wife of 20 years almost. You guys, pretty incredible. That's another example of God gives us what we need. You know, and, and that relationship with Cindy is not codependency. We're not trying to fix one another. We accept each other as we are. And we try to love and support one another to the best of our ability. That is a miracle. 
truly is. So Cindy's, you know, made the coffee and fed the dogs, and we have this meditation practice. And we meditate together. We pray together. God's in our relationship. And we set, I say, Alexa, set the timer for 10 minutes. I love this Alexa. We sit there. You know, and um, meditation has been a journey for me. It really has. I remember um, Leslie and I used to go to uh, different meditation workshops and retreats together. And so powerful what meditation has been able to do. It's like it's given me this ability to observe myself. Wow. Look at that. Look at that feeling you're having. Wow, you're getting upset, Trish. Wow, look at that visitor coming into my left shoulder. Right, Marilyn? We get these visitors. I am not those things. I am that which is observing those things. And I get confused about that. So I'm real grateful for meditation. And Cindy and I do this pretty much every morning. We get up and have Alexa set it, you know, do the timer. And we sit there and I, you know, I, I meditate sometimes on my breath. I'll meditate on love. I'll meditate on one of my senses. Anything that kind of brings me back to the present moment. And I observe the thoughts, and then I come back to my breath. Observe the thoughts. And these thoughts want to separate me from God. And I come back to the present. It's a practice. It's a muscle we have to exercise. And the road gets narrower the longer we're here. So I really encourage any of you who haven't done meditation or tried meditation, try it. It's an interesting journey. Yeah, so I do my meditation, and then I think about my day ahead. And I invite God into the day. And I go about my day. And sooner or later, something starts irritating me. <laughs> Let's get real. You know, and, and some of my patients are really challenging. Really challenging. So, like, so stuck in themselves to the extreme. And I'm trying to really, I'm, my whole practice of how I treat people has, has changed. I really try to teach mindfulness and get people in their bodies. You know, we all have these bracing patterns in us. And I notice where people brace. I just try to get their mind into that area and see if they can let go a little bit. I actually teach a mindful meditation and yoga class today. 
This crazy fucking head does that. It's crazy. I mean, it's like full circle with the vets and getting to be there for them and get out of myself. You know, there was a time in my sobriety when I wasn't connected. I didn't feel connected. And that was when Cindy and I moved here to Oregon 12 years ago. At 16 years sober. I thought I was all that. And got here and realized that I was a newcomer again without the love. Moving in sobriety is really hard, you guys. You know, I wanted to, like, bring my little AA resume with me. People didn't pay attention to me. <laughs> I like attention. Nobody was coming up to me. I forgot the basics. And it took me almost two years of being so stuck in myself. I was still going to meetings. But I pretty much had stopped doing my, I wasn't doing my, I was still praying, but I wasn't really meditating. I wasn't, I wasn't doing inventory at all. I mean, hardly. I was just like so stuck in myself. And I didn't really have a, a sponsor that I was, you know, calling. <laughs> like when you're willing, you know, you can't say the wrong thing to someone. And when you're not willing, you can't say the right thing. You know what I mean? So... I finally opened my mouth and I said, I'm so lonely and I need some friends. Honesty. If any of you are feeling disconnected, need help, please let someone know. Because I was in those dangerous years. I've seen a lot of people go back out. I've known a lot of people who have blown their heads off. This is a very baffling and cunning disease. We're so lucky to be here. It's almost like we're the chosen ones in a way. It's like we're here, God. This is not a miracle. This has to be. This is not a miracle that we're all sitting here sober this morning. If that's not evidence of a higher power, I don't know what is. So I had to get back into, um, I had to get back into connection. My disease wants me to disconnect. I had to get back into connection. I got a new sponsor. Angela's been my sponsor for 10 years. And I'm so grateful for the way that, that she sponsors me and her sponsees. I have this call every week. It's my time. 
And at first I was like, I got to call every week and talk to you on a certain time. And I got to tell you, I look forward to those phone calls today. We share a lot together. We laugh at ourselves a lot. (laughs) And I don't know that I would want it any other way. God has given me such a big, beautiful life. As long as I stay in this fit spiritual condition and remember that I'm not running the show. God runs the show. God is the father. God is the employer. God is the director. I'm the child that he looks at with love. I'm, I'm the love deep down, down inside that God consciousness that we all have. Meditation has led me to believe that that is the present moment. You know, they say, you know, you got one foot in the past and one foot in the future. What are you doing on this moment? There you go, yeah. (laughs) Crapping on it, right? And this program teaches me that, day in and day out. Our purpose, you know, to be of maximal effectiveness to God and our fellows. That's our purpose. Not to judge, not to correct other people. It's basically to love. That's what our purpose is, to love one another. I forget that because I get caught up in me. And I'm not getting love. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) You don't have to be a victim. I don't have to be a victim. You know, there's a beautiful prayer. In the 11th step and the 12 and 12, it's the St. Francis prayer. It is a religious prayer. And my sponsor often reminds me of aspects of that. When someone's come to me and I've hurt their feelings or done something wrong, you know, my first thing is I have to quickly, and I pretty much, you know, I do these spot check inventories, and I know when something's going on. I know today. And I'll say to one of my patients, I'll say, like, excuse me, i got to go to the restroom real quick before I go off on your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And I go in the restroom, I say, God, please help me. Help me, God. Help me be in your will. Help me to be understanding. Help me to be of love. And when I'm in that place, the connection between me and you, oh, that's the most special thing in the world. That's the high of this program. 
It really is. So God saved us, you guys. Here we are. God saved us. Um, this program, the biggest, one of the biggest gifts is giving me freedom from myself. Freedom from me. And when I have that freedom from myself, from all my little cracks and wounds, the light can get in. And then I can give it to someone else and share a little love. That's what this program's given me. Connection. For me to be able to connect to you, to look you all in the eyes and feel nothing but love. That's a gift. So, you know, help me to understand, not be understood. Help me to understand, not be understood. Thank you all for your sobriety. Thank you for keep coming. Do you newcomers please keep coming back? We want to see your eyes light up. And they will. You just keep coming back and be willing to take a little direction. It's okay. Your sponsor might ask you to do some things you don't want to do, but just remember, we don't know what's best for us. We truly don't. I still don't. I don't know what's best for me. It's not my idea to be up here talking to you guys today. Let me tell you that. I've been stressing about this shit, let me tell you. <laughs> but you know what? It's almost done. <laughs> and I don't even know what I've said. <laughs> I really don't. Thank God. All I have to say is thank God. <laughs>